Welcome to New York Zen Center for Contemplative Cares podcast. This free podcast is made possible through your generosity. Please consider making a donation through our Ways to Give link on zencare.org. How sweet this morning to see the crocuses have survived the great cold and snow still emerging from the little pot outside. Not to be deterred by weather, but their vitality is such a powerful reminder of how to stay close to our own nature. no matter what the weather is. So easy to be swayed by weather, the weather of our mind. If we feel like caring or showing up. But how do we just offer everything to each moment, not holding back or hesitating? I'm thinking about Rinaldo a lot and his dad, Osmar. And as his father is actively dying, as Osmar is dying, he was so touched by the fact that we're thinking of him here in New York, across the hemisphere. He said, oh, let's send them a photo so that they know my face. That was him last night, smiling, dying, living. Such a wonderful teaching. What we do with our last days or whatever we do with our days actually matters. And how do we want to participate? How do we want to live? Now. And today is our 66th day of our practice period, 90 days. the 10th week of intensifying our practice. And Wei Ning, the sixth ancestor, says this morning, if your own nature illuminates inwardly, the three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance, will be cast aside and hell will at once be destroyed. Bam! If inside and outside are clear, this will be no different from the Western land. 
if you don't carry out this practice, how will you be able to reach there? If your own nature illuminates inwardly, not just exteriorizing your whole life about getting and wanting and the weather. There can be such an emphasis in our lives just to like, oh, I don't like that that person said that or why didn't they see me in that way or I'm worried about that person and so on. But he's saying to inwardly illuminate. Mostly because we don't really have to practice outwardly illuminating. But often the balance is so off. At least that's my experience. Or some idea that someone else practices better than you. That's outward. But when we illuminate inwardly, he's saying the three poisons will be cast aside in that moment. And hell will be destroyed the hell of division, of separateness. So many of us are so actually invested in separateness, in our hurts, in our hesitation, in our pain, our problem, our history. it's the source of suffering, the contraction of connection. That's why it's so amazing, you know, Osmar is having such difficulty breathing. And yet still offering something to others. How many of us would be that brave? Oh, wow, they're thinking of me. Let's offer them something. In the ox herding pictures, riding the ox home is the stage we're looking at. that after we've kind of noticed that our mind is not here and we've gone and looked for it, learned how to tame it, learned how to get on it, then we have to ride it back home. We have to bring it intimately, into intimacy. 
bring our mind into intimacy. Which for me means about service and connection. And the poem with this stage says, following the winding road, you ride the ox home. It's also suggesting that this practice is not straightforward. The sound of your rustic flute pervades the evening haze. Each note, each song, feeling unbounded beyond lips and mouth. This is effortless activity. When we begin to practice diligently for a while, 20 years or so, we begin to actually have ease and there's not kind of a defensiveness or reactivity that leads the show. that we can relax amidst difficulty and not contract. Doesn't mean that we don't feel difficult or feel hurt or feel whatever. But we can relax and be like, ow, ow, that hurts. But we don't identify with it as a position. Anyone ever had that experience? Maybe just me. But it's really about beyond words and ideas. When you can actually let your story not be your story. Or let your story just be a story. Not that interesting, usually. just a trap. And the key, you know, in the Zen view, the image of a plum tree often comes up. to represent Shakyamuni or our awakened mind. And in Zen, we love the plum because it also is what begins to bloom before many of the other fruit trees. In particular, in China and Japan, it's like revered the plum blossom. Ready to come out when it's still cold. So like this stage of the ox herding, it's not that you've arrived anywhere because there's no arrival, but you're willing to express and bloom in the midst of things. You're not convinced that you have to express your reactivity and dig in 
It's also a challenging time because it's often when we begin to, you know, get serious about practice and then think it, that Zen is about something too, that the, the forms themselves mean something, which they don't. The forms are completely unimportant. And yet, we diligently maintain them. Because they seem to be useful to see our own minds. But they are not anything special in themselves. They're just like, you know, asphalt and trash. So the work is to totally immerse ourselves in the forms, learn them completely, so that we can be completely soft. And to me, that's the softness of being at someone's bedside. of realizing how important it is to show up, but at the same time to be completely willing to be totally available in not knowing. Knowing that it's really crucial to be there and crucial to have no idea what will be useful. Hakuin, great teacher, was born in 1686 and died in 1768. Probably the most influential figure in Rinzai Zen, and he's actually part of our lineage that we don't often talk about here. But the White Pluma Sangha that we're a part of is also has a Rinzai line that goes through Hakuin. And that's also why at this center and other white plum centers, many people study koans. But his ferocity of practice came out of fear that he was gonna be trapped in hell as a young boy. And he struggled with doubts for decades, but never gave up practicing. He says, anyone who wants to achieve the way of enlightenment must drive forward the wheel of the four great paths. But even when you gain entry through the gate of non-duality, if you lack the mind of enlightenment, you will sink back into the paths of evil 
so exciting. Right? Mm -hmm. It's so ordinary, actually. What he's talking about is ordinary. If you don't keep the mind of awakening in front of you, or if you're kind of like, whatever, we slip into greed, anger, and ignorance so easily. I do. And that's what he's talking about, going back into the paths of evil. Separation. Digging our heels in. I'm right. Anyone ever do that? Feel like they were right? <laughs> he tells a story. In the past, the priest Zhu Ming underwent great hardship while living and studying at Fenyang. He made it his practice to always sit through the long nights, totally unmindful of the piercing cold found east of the river and never allowing himself to so much as sleep a wink. Kind of hardcore situation. When the demon of sleep approached him, he would tell himself, you pitiful wretch, what are you? If you're unable to utter a single word to benefit others while you live, when you die, not a syllable you speak will be known to them, and jab himself in the thigh with a gimlet. <laughs> Hakuen says, here truly is a model to stand for a thousand future generations. <laughs> We're a little soft. We're a bit softer here at the center. <laughs> Encouraging sleep, actually. But what is this attitude? Like, it's so crazy and extreme, the story. But there's something about the attitude of challenging what comes up, what arises in your mind, and not believing everything that arises in your mind. And I love thinking about them as demons, because they kind of are. Hakuen had a lot of feelings. <laughs> and thoughts. And opinions. Maybe like some of you who have thoughts and feelings and opinions. This is one of his. He had a poem. Earth's vilest thing? from which all men should recoil? Crumbly charcoal? Firewood that's wet? 
watered lamp oil, a cartman, a boatman, a stepmother. <laughs> they always get it, don't they? <laughs> Even back then. Skunks, mosquitoes, lice, blue flies, rats. No. Thieving monks. <laughs> he really had a thing for thieving monks. For people who practice for themselves. Which I think is so important to understand that our practice is not for ourselves and that's the thieving that he was so concerned about he reviled it actually the great misunderstanding of the Dharma so to me it's like that any time that I'm caught in my story it's that kind of thieving stinginess I was talking to a friend the other day who was visiting people in hospice and he felt like a Macy's Day float going into the rooms like all his head first like <laughs> careening into those rooms I love that image. We're not in relationship in those moments. And how normal. But it's thieving from the relationship that is available. When we're floating in our own usness. He suggested that people and practitioners, whether they're teachers or monks or Sangha members, need to move together as a cart. I love that. That all of us are just a wheel on the cart. And when one of us stops, the whole thing goes off. The deep relationship of how we are together. And it takes all of us to be willing to participate. Huineng says, let the Tathagatha of enlightenment within your own mind ground Release the luminosity of great wisdom. Why not? What's so madness, like true madness, is that we don't. We're like, no. No luminosity.
luminosity. <laughs> I, like, I like my shit so much, no luminosity. Right? It's madness. Our unifying madness. It's what we all have in common. Let the Tathagata of enlightenment within your own mind ground release the luminosity of great wisdom. Release it. Anything that you're holding tight, whatever you're clinging to, whatever story or hurt or back then situation that you're gripped onto, he's saying, just release it. And it shines upon the six gates. And we can just let it go. Which just means it's not going to go anywhere. But it's just like we open the hand into our rightness and someone else's wrongness or our wrongness and someone else's rightness. All of that crazy that we plague ourselves with. Let the Tathagata of enlightenment within your own mind ground. You have it right now. Let it release the luminosity of great wisdom. Shine upon the six gates. all we have to do. No problem. And it's always here. That's why I love Huay Neng, because it's like, you have it all completely. It's just your mashugana <laughs> that you have to let go. Yesterday, a wonderful person died. A man who I thought of as a mentor and just found out at like midnight, Derek Walcott. Great poet from St. Lucia. He said, the fate of poetry is to fall in love with the world. I would say the trajectory of our Zen practice or the path is to fall in love with the world. Love everything, even that which hurts. So I'll close with one of his poems that, about love. It's called Love After Love. 
probably one of the great poems of the last century. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving. At your own door, in your own mirror. And each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself. to the stranger who has loved you all your life. Whom you have ignored. For another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf. the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. Sentient beings are